Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Okay, George W. Bush, John McCain, Bob Corker, and now Jeff Flake. All four leading Republicans, all four denouncing Donald Trump of the last week. All right, who's next? Go on, step up to the plate. Who's next? Number five. Let's go. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Wednesday, October 25, here we go. The Bill Press Show. Ready to take you uh, all through the news of the day, wherever it's happening we're on top of it. We'll tell you all about it, uh, bring you the best guests we've got in Washington, D.C., uh, with the greatest insights about what's happening in the news, and most importantly, give you a chance to sound off about it all uh, as we hopscotch through the big news of the day. Yes, uh, Bob Corker and uh, Donald Trump, uh, the so-called unity lunch yesterday <laughs> uh, with the Republicans at the Capitol and the president. Uh, a little disrupted uh, when uh, the day started with this uh, Twitter feud between Bob Corker and uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and it ended after Donald Trump left lunch with a speech on the floor by Jeff Flake saying, I'm quitting. I don't want anything to do with this gang anymore. Uh, neither Donald Trump nor where the Republican Party is going. Uh, meanwhile, Democrats are sitting on the sidelines watching this and saying, what fun to watch the Republicans eat each other alive, to watch the Republicans act like Democrats. <laughs> uh, so we'll take you all through it all. And most importantly, hear from you. What does it all mean? Your comments uh, on Twitter, at BP Show. Let us know what you think about the news of the day. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. We will start with the World Series of Baseball. Game one was last night. Houston Astros, Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Dodgers got out to a quick start. They won the game 3-1 behind the arm of Clayton Kershaw. So, Bill, you're Mr. Dodger now. Uh, Yep. You're feeling good. I'm feeling good. Game one, it's a big, it's a big they game. They were win. really looking pretty strong last night. But yeah. I mean, I will say this: uh, the Dodgers looked very good last night. Both teams looked very good. I think that these are the two teams that belong in the World Series. 
But, uh, yeah, the Dodgers looked amazing. And they've got a great manager. They've just got everything going for them. So we'll, we'll see if can we can it, keep it up. Can I read a tweet from at Peter Ogburn from last night? Go ahead. So Larry King was sitting um, uh, yeah. in the front, front row in L.A. last night. Peter Ogburn, 11 hours ago. Larry King looks like a fish hook. He did. He looked like a fish hook. That guy, he looked like, like a thumb on the end of a fish hook, just all hunched over. <sighs> he didn't look so good. I heard someone say this morning that... Uh, that was my one World Series tweet. That the all Dodgers right. brought out Hollywood's A-list, including Lady Gaga and Larry King. Hey! Uh, A-list? Boy, <laughs> you're really doing it. Hey, so for a couple of weeks now, a couple of months now, we've been talking about the big Senate bid in Michigan for Kid Rock. Uh, yeah, right. Kid Rock uh-huh. went on Howard Stern's radio show yesterday, and Howard Stern asked him straight up, are you running for Senate? And Kid Rock said, quote, F no, I'm not running for Senate. Are you effing kidding me? Oh, come on. He says, I'm releasing a new album and I'm going on tour. Are you effing shitting me? He says. You could do both. I guess you could. So he's saying, no, it was really all a publicity stunt because, like he said, he's got a new album. He's got a tour to promote. He was never going to run. Who would he run against? Debbie Stabenow? Debbie Stabenow. Yeah. Debbie Stabenow, yeah. And yeah, he, says, he says the whole thing was a joke from the beginning. Yeah, he, and he said he told some people in his uh, on his team that it wasn't actually happening. It was all just a big hoax. And the funny thing is how many Republicans sort of lined up to say, oh, we would love this. This would be great. This He could win. He could win in Michigan. <laughs> He'll stump for her opponent, though. Yeah, he will. No, he, I mean, he, he's still going to be involved in politics. He just ain't going to run. Yeah, but I mean, what impact would he, is it going to have on uh, the electorate, right? Even in Michigan, uh, Kid Rock. You'd be surprised in Michigan. Sorry, we have Donald Trump as president. <laughs> uh, stop reminding me. <laughs> On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. All right, another Republican senator uh, quits the pack. Jeff Flake yesterday joining Bob Corker, joining George W. Bush, joining John McCain in saying we've got a man in the White House who happens to be a Republican but who is unfit for the presidency and is a danger to our democracy. How about that? Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's Wednesday, Wednesday, October 25. So good to see you today. And welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital and booming out to you all across this great land of ours. Uh, Wherever you are, we're there right alongside of you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV and joining you on the great progressive voice of the Chicago, a greater Chicago area, WCPT, and on Indiana Talks uh, all through the great state of Indiana. Uh, and uh, don't forget uh, our podcast, right? More and more of you listening to the podcast. I get questions all the time. Do you have a podcast? Yes. How do you find it? BillPressShow.com. BillPressShow.com. Or, you know, iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast. We're there. Check us out. And not only that, something extra special on Patreon. Uh, something, uh, first of all, Patreon is always special stuff that you won't find anyplace else. 
But right now, Peter, something very special indeed. Yeah, look, if you go to patreon.com slash bpshow, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, every single day we put up your parting shot, which is your video commentary about the news of the day. But uh, if you do sign up, we have a very uh, new, very special uh, project that we've been working on for a while now called The Making of Bernie Sanders. It's a five-part podcast series you can only get on Patreon. All we ask is that you give us $5 a month. We give you this podcast along with other stuff. But we interviewed Tad Devine. We interviewed Nita Turner. We interviewed you, Bill Press. Michael Briggs, former press secretary. Yeah. And so we have all this, all these interviews of people who talked about as Bernie was deciding whether or not he was going to run for president, what happened during the run for president, what's happening after the run for president. It's just kind of taking a look at not only Bernie Sanders, but kind of what kind of is, is happening to the Democratic Party right now and the influence that Bernie has had on it. It's it's really, really good. I'm very excited about the conversations that we had. Yeah, so check it out. Little Gateway is patreon.com slash BP show. You got it. Uh, and it's five bucks a month, and you get that plus any all the other stuff that we uh, put up there. So uh, check it out. We're getting a very good response to it. Uh, and we're still building on it. The uh, uh, the Bernie uh, making of uh, making of Bernie Sanders. Yes, indeed. What a day yesterday. You know, we said this so many times <laughs> in the Trump presidency. We've never seen a day like this, right? Yeah. Veteran Washington insiders, reporters say. God, never saw a day like this one. Well, we never saw a day like yesterday. Uh, so this was Unity Day, right? This was a day that uh, Donald Trump was going to go up, have lunch with the Republicans, uh, and they were going to come out unified behind the big uh, tax plan. Uh, well, there are a couple things wrong with that. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, when Donald Trump, from everything we've heard uh, from Republicans who were in that luncheon, Unity Lunch, when Donald Trump got there, he hardly talked about tax the tax plan at all. He started Shock. out Shock. Shocking. Yeah. He started out by just going through all the great things that he had done, he says, <clears throat> since he's been president, signing more bills than anybody in history, having bigger crowds than anybody in history, being more loved than anybody in history. You know, he just went through all of that and yawn, 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 which people are getting tired of hearing of. And at the very end, he said, so next we have to do tax reform. And basically, that was it. Bye, everyone. Yeah. Uh, they all expected him to say, now, here's what our plan is. And here's what the legislation. And here's what we want. And here's what I'd like you to do. No. None of that. It was all just a braggadocio. How am I doing? Am I doing okay? I'm president. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm president. I have to read his tweet that he did after the, the meeting. He says, uh, so nice being with Republican senators today. Multiple standing ovations. <laughs> Most are great people who want big tax cuts and success for U.S. Yeah. Multiple standing ovations. Multiple standing ovations. Tom, Tom Tillis brought popcorn, as I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Someone got a picture of Tom Tillis with a bag of popcorn. Mm-hmm. Right. What a nut. Uh, at any rate. <laughs> But the real problem with the unity lunch was there ain't no unity, and there wasn't no unity. And it started early in the morning when Bob Corker, senator from Tennessee, who has been very outspoken in his criticism of Donald Trump, I mean, like serious stuff. He doesn't just say, I disagree with this guy's policy. He says he is a danger to this country. Uh, Bob Corker went on three morning shows yesterday uh, and repeated those remarks, upped them up a little bit. 
Uh, to which Donald Trump, of course, responded on Twitter, saying that he was a very he was ineffective. Uh, he could not get reelected uh, in Tennessee. He couldn't even get elected. Dog catcher. These two going back and forth. Uh, Bob Corker, I think, kind of, uh, of course, you know, uh, <clears throat> not going to give Trump any credit. Maybe I still think Bob Corker won the day uh, because he didn't sound like a crazy when he then talked to reporters on the Hill saying, you know, I've talked before about this guy's mental stability. I expressed concerns a few weeks ago about his his leadership and just his stability and uh, the lack of desire to be competent on issues and understand. Uh, as Corker has said uh, and said also yesterday, we all thought uh, we were all waiting for the pivot. <laughs> we're all waiting for him to go from being the uh, totally nut nutty candidate uh, to taking the time, surround himself with good people, learn about the issues, and pivot to being presidential. Uh, Corker has said we finally have to accept that ain't going to happen. We're tired of waiting, and it's not going to happen, and it is not going to happen. Instead, Corker says all we see is a bunch of lies from this guy. Standing up in front of the American people and stating untruths that everybody knows to be untrue, just uh, the attempted bullying uh, that he does, which uh, everybody sees through. You know, like, good for Bob Corker for coming out and saying this. But at the same time, like, did he really not see that this is who Donald Trump is? Well, and he supported him for president. By the way, you know, he said, I think he's the only one that I know of who has said uh, when uh, Manu Raju from uh, CNN asked him yesterday, are you sorry you supported him for president? And, And Corker said, well, I'll tell you one thing. I'd never do that again. Meaning, yeah, I am sorry. That's nice. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I yeah, mean, but he wore a MAGA hat on stage, so no, no. there's pictures of it. Yeah, he did. But he's he's taken the MAGA hat off. Yeah. Give the guy credit for that. Yeah, he supported him. He voted for him. Um, He's off the he's off the train right now. And finally, uh, Bob Corker is saying, and I, this is a phrase that we're hearing, th- you, you, maybe not the exact words, but... This is a point that George W. Bush made, that John McCain made, Bob Corker made, and later Jeff Flake made in terms of the debasement of um, of, the, of the country and the presidency. I think at the end of the day, when his term is over, I think the debasing of our nation, um, the constant non-truth telling, the just the, the name-calling, the things like, I think the, the basement of our nation will be what he'll be remembered most for. So, you know, there have been, there have been senators before, Democratic senators who broke, who broke with Obama over a, a policy, right, something like that. Hey, I disagree with him on this, boom, boom, boom. Um, there have been Republican senators who disagreed with George W. Bush over a policy or something critical. But th- this, takes it, this takes it a step further, Uh and it's bad enough for um, one Republican senator to do it, even, who's already announced his retirement. Um, but then yesterday, uh, another shoe dropped with a Jeff Flake, who, let's face it, um, is about as conservative as you can get. Um, not a hero of mine. I wouldn't have voted for him, and I'd go to Arizona and work against him if he were, if he were running for reelection. 
Uh, but he threw in the towel yesterday and also said basically that Trump has taken uh, the country to a, and the party to a position where he just can no longer wants to be any part of it. And this is a guy, a Republican friend of mine reminded me at dinner last night, this is a guy who was head of the, Jeff Flake was head of the Goldwater Institute <laughs> in Arizona. I mean, it's it'd be hard to question his conservative credentials, but uh, he wasn't conservative enough for Steve Bannon and the company. He had an 18% approval rating uh, in Arizona. Jesus. So in many ways, Jeff Flake was just... Ex- uh, accepting the reality, right, uh, of um, not being able to get reelected, uh, but uh, but but again, he went out with a blast at Donald Trump, saying uh, that those of us who disagree with where this guy is going, uh, we've been silent too long. The time for complicity is over. It is time for our complic- complicity and our accommodation of the unacceptable to end. Sometimes he said. You got to be willing to risk your career. Sustained incumbency is certainly not the point of seeking office. And there are times when we must risk our careers in favor of our principles. Uh, and finally, now from, is such a time. And finally, from Jeff Flake. Um, and he, by the way, we hear this a lot from people. I hear it a lot when I'm on on CNN or MSNBC debating some of these conservatives, yahoos, is that. Um, you know, this is just uh, don't, this is just Donald Trump being Donald Trump, and like this is the new normal to be um, obnoxious, to insult people, um, to you know be almost flip about the presidency. A lot uh, of people think that. Yeah. No. Seriously, Jeff Flake says uh, I ain't going there. We must stop pretending that the de- degradation of our politics and the conduct of some in our executive branch. Are normal. They are not normal. Not normal. And again, I want to repeat: it is not normal to have in one week George W. Bush, John McCain, Bob Corker, and Jeff Flake—four leading Republicans, whatever you think of them—break with Donald Trump. Now, John McCain didn't do the. Well, he came close to doing the ultimate. I'd break. say John McCain is on the other side of Donald Trump. I think he's. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I do too. And, At this and, point, anyway. Right, and George. W. Now it's interesting. Uh, Jeff Flake, George W. Bush, John McCain did not mention him by name. I don't know that Cor- Corker has or not, but we all know who they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, right. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You right. know, I, I agree. There's this is you know an historical moment, and that there is some room for praise for Jeff Flake and Bob Corker if you're a Democrat. I I, I agree with you on that, Bill. But I, I have to mention this: the website 538 reporting yesterday that Jeff Flake, 92 percent of the time, has voted with Trump's positions since Trump has been in office. That includes extending government funding to to include Harvey oh. relief funds in September. Uh, sorry, these are the times that he voted against yeah. Trump. Yeah. Additional sanctions Jim, on North oh. Korea. Russia sanctions in June and the appropriations bill. Those are the only four times that he voted against Trump so far. Ninety-two percent of the time, he has been with Trump. Fine. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, absolutely. I'm saying he's no hero of mine. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I. I can I repeat? No, I, I just vote think for him. I go out there and campaign yeah. against him. He is a far right conservative. Right. But as a far right conservative, he does have some principles about the dignity of the office of the president and about what this country, leadership of this country. 
And let's face it. Look, let's just be honest. Donald Trump is unfit for the presidency. He doesn't belong there. He is a danger to our democracy. He's a danger to this country. He's not somebody we ought to be laughing about. He's not somebody we should even be tolerating. I mean, I think Democrats and Republicans ought to stand up and say, get this asshole out of the White House. Get this dangerous guy out of the White House. In fact, I would say my criticism of Donald Trump, of, of uh, Bob Corker and Jeff Flake is they didn't go far enough. They should have said, let's start the impeachment hearings today. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, I mean, look. That's because if what they say is true, then you can't leave it there. Yeah. You can't just say, all right, I'm stepping aside. That's not enough. Right. right. I mean, if they're, if they I, really. I'm with you now. If I'm they, with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you totally. I mean, look, if they really, really are against Donald Trump, you're right. They, there is something they can do. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's the, the whole thing is is so interesting now because, you know, as, as big of a deal it is, as it is that Jeff Flake and Bob Corker came out like they have, uh, and I do think it's a big deal, um, they don't have to worry about running for re-election again. And this is going to be seen as a win for Steve Bannon. And Oh, oh he's already crowing. Yeah, That's no, this is... I, and, yeah. and I also think that this is but. going to be seen as a win for Trump. He's going to have... Not he's not going to have a, a any of these anti-Trump Republicans to deal with in in a very short period of time. No. Yeah. That, that being said, are the floodgates open? Well, we'll see. Well, that no, that's a very good point. In fact, Carl Hulse, who's a great reporter for the New York Times, has a piece on the front page of the New York Times, a news analysis piece, where he and the headline is, "Will there be a it's newfangled freedom caucus? Will there be a fifth member?" Uh, and yeah. so, again, George W. Bush, in the last week, George W. Bush, John McCain. I, I forget about, by the way, Barack Obama, I mean, in, in, a, <laughs> yeah, in right. a sense that he said it too, but he's a Democrat. So we're just looking at Republicans. Republicans. George W. Bush, John McCain, Car Bob Corker, Jeff Flake. Will there be a fifth member? And I'll tell you, what we need from the fifth member is somebody who is, is up for re-election next yeah. year, who's willing to say what Bob Corker and Jeff Flake said. I agree. That's what we really that's what we really need. But here's a little insight into what why more Republicans are not joining them, particularly those cuz you know, th this is I would say this is a moment of truth, right, for Republicans. They're either going to join the chorus or they're going to stay silent and go along. Here's Mitch McConnell yesterday where he talked about, uh, he said, first of all, this was a, just a lot of noise out there. There's always a lot of noise. But he f basically says, we're going to focus, and here's a key phrase, and, and listen to what he says about distractions. We've been looking for the opportunity to do this literally for years. We now have a president who will sign it, who believes in what we're trying to do, and we're going to concentrate on what our agenda is and not any of these other distractions that you all all may be interested in. Bingo. Yeah. That's the key, yep. that they've wanted to give tax cuts to the rich for so long that now he just said it. He just said it. He let the cat out of the bag. Why are they going along with this? Because you know that what Bob Corker and Jeff Flake say, there are not all of them, but there are a lot of other Republican senators on the Hill who believe the same thing. Why are they not speaking out? Because they've got a president finally who will sign anything they put in front of him. That's he gave it away. That's what it's all about.
and they're willing to sell their soul. And they're willing to put this country at risk to get tax cuts for the rich and to cut taxes for the big corporations. That's what it's all about. Can we play the Paul Ryan clip? Yeah, can we please? Go for it. Yeah. Another- all this stuff you see on a daily basis on Twitter this and Twitter that, forget about it. Let's yeah. focus on helping people, improving people's lives, and doing the things that we said we would do that accomplishes that. That's what we're focused on. God. Good boy, Paul. Good boy. Yeah. Woof. Forget yeah. about it. Forget about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Let's just focus on improving people's lives by giving people who make over $400,000 a big tax cut. Uh-huh. And cutting the <laughs> cutting the rate on corporations now, which they don't – cutting the tax rate on corporations, which they don't pay anyhow. Right? Uh, yeah. But I thought that Mitch McConnell might – it really does say it all. The Mitch McConnell and the Paul Ryan thing, exa- you're exactly right. It sums up who the Republicans are now. Yeah. And they're the ones who will enable and accept this type of behavior from a deranged, sick old man just so they could get some things that they like done. I, the I presidents saw, knew at this. That's right. <laughs> let us not yeah. forget. Right. I saw there was a tweet yesterday that was – talking about Jeff Flake and it just basically said like Jeff Flake is mad because Donald Trump is saying the quiet parts loud right <laughs> like this is stuff that the Republicans have said for a long long time they've just gotten very good at code words and dog whistles and yeah. Donald Trump is just not that guy right so they'll put up with it and they'll deal with it and they'll enable it and they'll accept it because they think that he's going to lead them to some victory on tax cuts or tax reform or whatever else their pet issue is. So here he is. And in the process, he drags the party completely in the mud. Yeah, absolutely. I, so uh, the question is, I like that question, who else is going to step up? You know, I mean, really, really make a break. I mean, not just a little critical. Really make a break, not just remain silent. And if they do remain silent, they are the enablers of Donald Trump, uh, the entire Republican Party. A couple of other things going on we did want to uh, we mention, of course. Um, you know, we told you Roy Moore was going to be tr- trouble when he gets oh to the uh, United States Senate. Uh, God forbid Doug Jones go. Send Doug Jones a check. Help him out. Uh, be great to pick up that seat and save the country from a Roy Moore. Uh, just one little indication of uh, what his agenda is going to be, Roy Moore. Um, it uh, just was reported by Talking Points Memo. Cameron Joseph, our good friend, Cameron Joseph, reporting that Roy Moore has said that uh, the Supreme Court's decision legalizing gay marriage last year uh, is worse than their the Dred Scott ruling, uh, which allowed uh, slavery, upheld slavery. Mm. Uh, oh God, that it's. Whoa, there's so much wrong with that. Where do you start? I mean, <laughs> there's so much wrong with that. I mean, I, I thought that re- conservatives and liberals, just about everybody agreed that the Dred Scott decision was the worst decision in the history of the Supreme Court. Uh, no, not according to Roy Moore. Remember Roy Moore, who was chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court twice and thrown out twice. So this is a guy that you would think would know the law, would know the history, would have some sense of <clears throat> what justice is all about in this country. But allowing uh, two people of the same sex who love each other to get married 
Uh, that is worse than owning people as slaves and treating them as animals and not recognizing them uh, as Americans just because of the color of their skin. How could you, how could you stand behind that today? Uh, I mean, and, and how, how could Alabama, even Alabama, send an outright racist like this and make him the nominee of the party and then even consider sending him to the United States Senate? You know, I mean— Seriously. I, I've talked about the fact that all of my family is from Alabama, and running a racist or, or racist-adjacent campaign is not going to hurt you in Alabama. Uh, sadly? Sadly. That's just how it is. Right. Uh, they're a little behind the times, I think would be to put it generously. But, you know, it, it's really interesting. Roy uh, or uh, Doug Jones, who's trying to bring Alabama into, you know, the modern age— and he kind of said, you know, look, I'm embarrassed for the state of Alabama that this is what they put out there, which, of course, Roy Moore has turned into some, you know, attack ad saying, uh, you know, oh, I'm proud of Alabama, always have been. I'm, I can't believe we've got a mm-hmm. Democrat uh, candidate who says he's not proud of Alabama. And it's just like, come on, man. He's just trying, he's just trying yeah. to bring him up to the modern ages here. Yeah. You know, Roy, get on your horse sassy and ride out of here. Sassy. Yes or no question. Homosexual conduct should be be illegal. Should be illegal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My interview with with Roy Moore, he said it then and he amplified it now. Uh, And the other thing is a little flap you're going to hear about um, where uh, it has been revealed by um, the Washington Post reporting yesterday, front page today, uh, that that famous dossier... Um, put together on Donald Trump, a little opposition research during the campaign, uh, put together by a guy named Christopher Steele, who is a former intelligence officer for the U.K. Uh, He looked into Donald Trump's ties to Russia, uh, wrote this dossier, which, by the way, has been um, reviewed by Robert Mueller. He has been interviewed by Robert Mueller to see uh, what this dossier says about Donald Trump's connections, business ties in Russia, and even about some of his questionable extracurricular activities, uh, allegedly, while he was in Russia. Um, uh, We're not going to talk about golden showers on this family show. Um, But um, the Washington Post reporting that that research was actually paid for in part by the DNC and by the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, which uh, Fox News and uh, some other outlets are trying now to make a great big deal of, uh, which I think is just nonsense to me. Uh, okay, so they paid for it. Every campaign pays for opposition research, Yeah. number one. And number two, I don't care who paid for the opposition research. I want to know whether it's true. I want to know what's in the dossier because we haven't seen it. There's been reports that this isn't it, this isn't it, ties, that he was over there, that he tried to make a hotel deal here, that he was close to Putin, that he gets together with Putin, that he talks, all that stuff. I want to know what's in the dossier and is it true? That's all that, to me, that's all that matters. I have to interrupt because Uh it has tweeted. And Donald Trump has been tweeting about this dossier about who paid for it. All right. He's tweeted about the dossier this morning. out of the shower. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, here is a tweet from about, about the dossier about eight minutes ago about the dossier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Donald Trump says, 
<laughs> it's a quote. I don't think he understands exactly how Twitter works because he, he's quoting something that it looks like it came up from Fox News. So it's a, it's a tweet that's in quotes and then he tags Fox News. But anyway, it says Clinton campaign and DNC paid for research that led to the anti-Trump fake news dossier. The victim here is the president. End quote. And then he says, and then he tags Fox News. He also has two other tweets about Jeff Flake and Bob Corker. Uh, he says, the reason Flake and Corker dropped out of the Senate race is very simple. They had zero chance of being elected. Now act so hurt and wounded. And then he says, the meeting with Republican senators yesterday outside of Flake and Corker was a love fest with standing ovations and great <laughs> ideas for USA. A love fest with standing ovations. <laughs> You know, it's like there's this whole new network, right? Right? Which is the Trump tweet world. Pretty much. And it is totally divorced from reality. Completely. Yeah, right. Completely. Those are great. Those are great. Only Donald Trump would brag about how many standing ovations he got from Republican senators who Uh, are scared that they do it because they want him to see them standing and applauding, right? So he won't tweet against them. I forget who, which uh, senator God. was interviewed on CNN yesterday by uh, Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> and he asks him, he says, were there multiple standing ovations in this meeting? And the senator goes, uh, define multiple. <laughs> James Rish. James Rish. Yeah, it was well, James Rish. That was James Rish. Well, he goes, also, define multiple. I was just going well, to talk. I was just going to talk about this senator because he was on with Wolf Blitzer yeah, actually Blitz. on CNN. Yeah. Uh, and so Wolf says, well, you know, now. Um, Bob Corker has spoken out. Jeff Flake has spoken out. How about you, Senator? He lies about something, and you know it's a lie. Shouldn't you speak up? That's your job. What, that, but that's your job. You're a United States job. senator. You're an equal <laughs> branch of the, a co-equal branch of the U.S. government. And, Jesus. And right says, no, it's your job to speak up. It's not mine. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm telling you. Well, you know, uh, maybe, maybe this week uh, Donald Trump may, we're hearing, may, may finally get serious uh, and recognize the opioid epidemic in this country as something real that maybe we ought to be talking about. Uh, That and a lot of other stuff Alan Pike from Think Progress has been writing about, reporting about. He's going to tell us all about it coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. Good to have you on board this Wednesday, October 25. He lies about something, and you know it's a lie. Shouldn't you speak up? That's your job. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go on a Wednesday, October 25. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show, and uh, we are uh, well into it here. Good to have you on board. Uh, as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio here on Capitol Hill. Brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters under President Jim Hoffa. Good men and women of the Teamsters, building a better America. Check out their website at teamster.org. And thank them for the support of the uh, program. And welcome here to uh, our studio from uh, Think Progress, a good friend, uh, political reporter all around 
general news reporter, I guess, Alan Pike. Hello, Alan. It's good to see you. Good to see you too, Bill. Uh, before we uh, jump in, uh, we've been at it here for uh, a little a little while, and uh, lots of activity on the Twitter feed, uh, Jamie. Yeah, let's actually start in the YouTube chat room, youtube.com backslash the Bill Press Show. I believe this is Jim saying, I'm slightly skeptical at the assessment that the GOP supports Trump as long as they get their way. That's because they can get that after kicking Trump out as they have the more reliable pence. It's an interesting take there. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, on mm-hmm. that point, yeah, uh, Jane Mayer has a, a profile of uh, Mike Pence in it's the excellent. current New Yorker magazine, yeah, which will good. scare the living bejesus out it of it. It most certainly will. Uh, Ron, on Twitter... He is a, a serious, dangerous dude. We're on Twitter. More dangerous than Trump. At BP Show, Ron says, worth the wait. Republicans are saying what we on the left have been saying. Kudos for the steps taken by Flake and Corker. So Ron is a fan of what those two retiring GOP senators said yesterday. And one more comment uh, on Twitter from Phil. Uh, I I believe we're going to get to this next hour, but a story that is worth mentioning. The Senate voted to repeal important consumer banking rule 51 to 50 last night. The yes votes on that included, Phil points this out, Susan (laughs) Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Jeff Flake, and Bob Corker. So uh, we'll learn more about that later on the show, but Mike Pence had to... uh, Mike Pence is the one who broke the tie. Yeah. Uh, Keep the comments coming, by the way, on Twitter at BP Show and in the YouTube chat room, youtube.com backslash the Bill Press Show. Okay. So, Alan, um, you've been writing about I want to ask you about opioids. Sure. Do you have any? No. Okay. Oh, is that what Peter does? I have a couple. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Peter's got some. Peter does. They shoved them at me, man. They couldn't (laughs) wait to give me some opioids. Well, that's about the only place they do anymore, I think, is, you know, when you've had. Massive surgery. Yeah, 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 yeah. They shoveled them. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had plenty. Been, you know, a lot of talk about it. They had this summit at the White House or something. Everybody says it kept kept waiting for Donald Trump to declare it a national crisis. Yeah. Is it? It looks like we're going to get that on, on Thursday. Uh, it, I, it's certainly a crisis. I, I'm a little bit more skeptical, I think, than some of the utility of declaring it an, an emergency in the formal yeah, expansions yeah. Of, of legal power yeah, that that, mean, that, that anyway. grants. It's it's murky, and, and mostly what it means is <laughs> it will be easier for public health officials to find and spend money on things they think will work to combat this and to, and to help. And the thing is, it will also give people incredible latitude to follow the approaches they prefer. So in jurisdictions where the folks in power earnestly believe in treating addicts like uh, human beings, like like maybe like victims of a crime rather than like criminals themselves, you might get some good policy. And in places where the there's a sort of he- more more sympathy for the heavy-handed approach, using police and uh, you know nighttime raids on suspected drug dealers' homes and things like that, you're going to see bad stuff. But to be honest with you, Bill, I'm I'm still uh, working on reporting out kind of the the skeptical side of this. A lot of people are are, yeah. are relieved to see him. I think three months later, after after the commission mm-hmm. that he mm-hmm. appointed Chris Christie to lead recommended this step, I think a lot of people are relieved to see him finally getting ready to take it. I'm I'm a little more skeptical as as I'm skeptical of all uh, American policy approaches to this particular crisis because it's one that we've manufactured both literally by creating and and mismarketing these drugs and allowing uh, the Sackler family and Purdue Pharmaceuticals to deceive the public and deceive doctors about the utility of their drug uh, and and by making making a market for this stuff. Our, our prohibition, prohibitionist policies on narcotics create black markets that don't need to exist. 
Uh, what parts of the country is this, uh, or is it nationwide, or are there pockets of the country that, I mean, you keep It's pretty well it. nationwide at this point. I mean, it, there, there's there's more severity in certain pockets, and there's truth to the stereotypes about um, areas in, in Appalachia. And, and, right. But, but I, you know, I remember, I've been talking about this a lot with, with friends from home recently, um, and, and we all remember going back to when I was in high school, so 2002, 2003, uh, you started to see a couple of sort of big front page feature kind of stories in the current about I grew up in Connecticut, so the Hartford Current about uh, small towns in Connecticut where kids were dying of of heroin overdoses. This is this has been going on for for twenty twenty five years yeah. at this point, right. all around the country. And and in uh, I think what's this is an obvious point that gets made a lot, but it's important. Uh, the thing that gets this deemed a crisis and gets uh, powerful people who can afford very expensive suits to turn their heads about it is that uh, white people and white people's kids have started dying because they got, you know, a, a 40 count of Vicodin for a concussion on the football field, and that turned into an all-consuming addiction that, that led them down uh, a much more dangerous than pills. I forget his name, but I saw a report on CBS about this one trial attorney who took on the tobacco companies. Okay. I think from Mississippi. Okay. Who's sort of leading the fight on this. I don't know whether okay. you reported No, I'm, I'm, I, I haven't. I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar. I'm, I, there have been a couple of attorneys who have pushed this stuff. I'm afraid I haven't. But the, he, he, I mean, he really is going after the drug manufacturers particularly. That's really where the side. action is, I think. And, and if you go back a couple of years, there's an L.A. Times series uh, that is tremendous on this stuff that really looks into, again, Purdue Pharmaceutical, uh, the family that, that owns them and runs them and is worth, I think, $12 billion or something combined because of them, uh, the Sacklers. They, they first marketed OxyContin in the mid to late 1990s and told doctors and told the public that it was essentially a wonder drug for pain, that one dose every 12 hours would keep your pain in check uh, and, and allow you to live a life. You know, they marketed it as basically the opposite of what uh, ends up happening to people who get hooked on these drugs, which is that it has a shorter and shorter half-life as you use it. Uh, for for a, a strikingly large percentage of patients, that 12-hour promise is bogus, and, and Purdue knew that from the jump. They knew it from their own clinical trials that in... Some something like a quarter of all cases, even in trials, uh, people were feeling the drug wear off after three or four or five hours. So if you've made something that is potent enough chemically, biologically, that it should only be taken once every 12 hours, but it's not actually effective uh, as experienced wow. past right four, five, six hours, you're setting people up for a cycle of addiction. You're, you're ba it's a recipe for the, the place we find ourselves How in How do they get through the FCC? I'm the uh, F. FDA. FDA, yeah. My understanding is that the FDA is a bit of a light touch on this stuff. Um, this isn't this isn't really my area, so I don't want to go too okay. far on it. But but I, I can I can tell you that uh, the FDA is generally inclined to believe you when you can show uh, a, a public a public value to a, a therapeutic value to a drug, which which OxyContin certainly does. Pain is not. Therapeutic in almost any medical setting. Uh, there's no particular value to, to languishing in agony when you're trying to recover from an injury. But uh, I don't I don't think that they took a hard enough look at the nature of these promises and the and how their clinical trials compared. And you're also allowed a staggering amount of marketing leeway with with even with pharmaceuticals, um, but with any product in this country. You know, it's the same. Yeah. Tito's vodka can can call itself small batch and handcrafted, and they're buying neutral grain spirit from some factory in the Midwest that never <laughs> stops running, and they're throwing it into pot stills for an hour and then calling it small batch. Um, and that's fine. That, that marketing language has been 
upheld in court. There, there are stricter rules for pharmaceuticals, but uh, but only somewhat, and you can get away with kind of a lot. All right. So now, yesterday, the Justice Department says they're going to crack down on Chinese fentanyl. Yeah. So this what, is an interesting case. Yeah. yeah. So, and you've been reporting about this, but so what piece of the puzzle? I mean, you know, what percentage, if you will, of the market is coming from China? Uh, there's said, something like uh, 20,000 deaths attributed to fentanyl in CDC statistics in 2016. That's up from 5,500 in 2014, I believe. So, so pretty striking so increase. Fentanyl is an opioid. Yeah, fentanyl is a synthetic version of heroin. Okay. It's about uh, 50 times more potent than Ooh. than heroin, uh, sure. which means uh-huh. that a very small amount can trigger an overdose. It's also incredibly cheap to make. If you think about where heroin comes from, where opium comes from, you need a large amount of land, a large number of people with guns to guard that land. You need to invest in security countermeasures to protect it from the helicopters of whatever failed state you're operating in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of, it's a lot of overhead. And a lot of poppies. And a lot of poppies. <laughs> and people, right, people with small oyster knives to, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of overhead. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a it's sort of like doing retail. If you're, if you have the chemical precursors and a chemist with the knowledge and a manufacturing facility that doesn't have to be very large, you can crank out fentanyl instead at a fraction of the cost per dose. So it's much cheaper and much more potent. And because, again, our laws create a black market in which people who become addicted to narcotics are uh, forced to rely upon uh, criminals people who are people who are engaged in what has been made a criminal enterprise who don't necessarily have much interest or knowledge about uh, telling you what you're taking you know they're not going to manage your dose like a doctor would your, uh, your your drug dealer loses their connect for heroin or realizes oh this fentanyl stuff's much cheaper they're not necessarily going to tell you hey by the way if you slam this like you did the last thing I sold you you're going to die they're just going to sell it to you. Yeah. Um, so the 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 idea is we've we've basically left drug dealers to serve as pharmacists, and they don't have any real incentive to do that, um, or or the knowledge or wherewithal to do that. Um, but yeah, so a, a lot of this, a lot of this stuff turns out to be getting manufactured in China, and and the DOJ is very excited about the police work that they put into rolling up a couple of these networks and tracing them all the way back to two Chinese factories. Uh, and two particular sort of either kingpins or mid-management figures in in this entrepreneurial uh, industry of of manufacturing narcotics for export in China. 1.3 billion people, this is a country that can't quite keep its food supply safe on a normal day. Uh, imagine then trying to go in and root out uh, something yeah. as profitable, as lucrative as manufacturing fentanyl to ship to the United States. It's very, very difficult. DOJ is very excited they found these guys, but I'm... As, as the piece explains, ex- extremely skeptical of the idea that uh, this is anything other than a, a dope on the table moment uh, for the for the cyber era and the, the opioid crisis era. In other words, if they were to shut this down, this Chinese supply, there would still be an opioid crisis epidemic Correct. in this country. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and, and the, this isn't the problem. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's an ex-cop uh, I talked to for this piece uh, who's now working private security and has for a long time, but he was a sheriff's deputy in Arizona for a while and advised on counterterrorism work and, and anti-drug work in, in Latin America in the 80s and 90s. Really interesting guy. And yeah, that was what he told me is, look, I, I believe in this kind of police work and I, I think everybody who does it is, is sincere and, and earnest about what they're doing. And I certainly was when I was in uniform as a young man. But I think if you looked at any of these guys who were in who were at this press conference in the eye and said, "Okay, so the, whoever was buying this fentanyl yesterday before you shut this down, do you th- think they're 
going to not be doing drugs in a month, uh, and they and they wouldn't be able to say yes. They they oh. might not they might not say no, uh, but they right. but they can't say yes with right. a straight face. Alan Pike with us from Think Progress, thinkprogress.org. Uh, so I was uh, glad to see from your reporting that we're finally getting serious about going after uh, domestic terrorists, uh, <laughs> aka environmentalists. Yeah, yeah. This, this is, is Jeff Sessions' latest. Uh, well, so yeah, there's there's 84 members of Congress who signed on to a letter to the Attorney General, which how many? 84. Really? Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. 80, 80 Republicans, 80 that... Republicans, and uh, four Democrats. We got four Texas Democrats who've taken a combined like two and a half, three million dollars from the oil and gas industry over their careers. Uh, yeah, and and what they've what they've asked him to do is report back. Do you ha- do you currently have enough authority uh, in the law as it stands to treat people who sabotage pipelines? as domestic terrorists. And in the letter, they refer specifically to uh, an example from 2016 of a group of sort of rogue individuals with blowtorches cutting open pipelines and, and to, to stop work and, and force the, the shutting of pipelines. Um, and they, they make reference to a, an op-ed in a Colorado local Colorado newspaper where somebody argued that uh, if frackers are going to come in and ruin our water supply, maybe we have a moral duty to sabotage their equipment. Um, so they're, they're, they're framing it up as this sort of monkey wrench gang, eco-terrorist, band in the forest, Robin Hood, but for nature kind of group that they want to deem terrorists. The, the nature of the law, though, is that when you expand definitions in this way, you can roll up a whole bunch of other people. So it could, it could very quickly become, oh, when you and your fellow Standing Rock Sioux chained yourself to our construction equipment, uh, to prevent us from working, you actually broke a couple of bars on the protective cage on the outside of the bulldozer. So you've you've now committed terrorism. You've now done a terrorism. Oh, <laughs> you, done terror. uh, you you could you could get it to you could take that to people who would um, march in protest outside of the gates of a nuclear sure power plant or sure. something. I mean, this is yeah absurd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depending on depending on how far a prosecutor would be willing to take it, depending on how yeah. far a yeah. judge would be willing to go <laughs> with this sort of thought them, experiment. Yeah, they yeah. Actually you actually want them branded as terrorists and then charged under yeah, the criminal under, justice system as terrorists. Correct, correct. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and the uh, right. it, it does not take a particularly creative imagination to uh, to see how this becomes. As you say, yeah, you don't oh, even have bro. to have physical contact with with the infrastructure of the oil right. and gas industry yeah. for this to work. And and so this is at the bottom of that piece. Um, there, there, I, I end up I end up talking to to somebody from Greenpeace a little about this because Greenpeace is currently being sued for hundreds of millions of dollars uh, using the RICO statute, the laws that we created to go after organized crime oh. in the in the sixties and seventies. Uh, the oil and gas industry is trying to use RICO to convince a court that Greenpeace is doing crime to them by harming their uh, bottom line and by harming their shareholders. Basically, that Greenpeace's efficacy at preventing ships from getting to the Arctic to drill, for example, uh, amounts to criminal uh, sort of economic terrorism. So, you know, again, if we're going to expand the definition to you're, you're damaging the critical national security infrastructure of the oil and gas industry, therefore you're a terrorist, it does not take much of an imagination to get from there to oh every single form of traditional uh environmental resistance yeah, activism sure. chaining yourself to a tree yeah. pretty quickly becomes a terrorist act i was gonna say like at what, at what point do we like get to this conversation of what isn't terrorism you know like right. it, it, peaceful protests could slow down the gears of whatever you're trying to protest exactly is that terrorism 
Yeah, it's and a, it's a, I mean to say it's a slippery slope. Sure. Well, and 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 I and I I'm, I don't yeah. think anybody likes saying those those words, and I don't either. Uh, but but in this case, I think it's incredibly relevant because just as a for instance, what? one of the people who signed this letter is Steve Scalise, who uh, God love him is is alive uh, despite having been shot by somebody who targeted he and fellow Republicans on a baseball field, uh, apparently for political reasons. That that killing that shooting that that attack uh, is not regarded as terrorism by the FBI. Under mm. these same statutes, but That's Steve Scalise has signed onto this law or onto this bill or letter, excuse me, uh, yeah. asking Sessions to start treating um, people who you know try to block whaling boats. Jeez. As what terrorists. I find so stunning is that eighty—I didn't realize there's that many. Eighty-four members of Congress would mm-hmm. actually sign this letter, yeah. a, a letter like yeah. that. Yeah, it's a it's a laundry list of your usual suspects on oil and gas <laughs> industry stuff. It's a lot of it's a lot of Texas, it's a lot of Florida, it's a lot of. Um, uh, Utah and Colorado. Um, it's a, it's a, it seems like the kind of thing that if you're an oil and gas lobbyist and you've for years you've been cashing your checks and then and then calling a meeting about you know fuel standards and cars or whatever, um, suddenly there's this there's this brave new world that we're all operating in with uh, with Donald Trump in the White House and and Scott Pruitt at EPA and uh, Jeff Sessions at at the Attorney yeah. General's office and and so. Why not? Blue sky. Let's ask for some crazy stuff. <laughs> right. And Ryan Zinke at the Interior. Sure. Yep. Who uh, yep. just gave his neighbor a $300 million contract or something for restoring electrical lines in Yo, Puerto Rico. I've got a lot of questions about that story. Uh, it, it's, it's wacky. Yeah. In fact, we're going to be talking with uh, Congressman uh, John Garamendi a little bit later uh, about that one. You've also been taking a look at the uh, one aspect, at least, of this uh, tax cut um plan or whatever, such as it is. Uh, and uh, so the big unity lunch yesterday with the Republicans didn't amount to too much. But there is this question. The Republicans in Congress want to help pay for their tax, $2 trillion tax cut or whatever it is, right. by limiting the amount of money people can put into a 401k. Right, right. And now Trump says, I'll never sign that. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of but, teed up for him to to play populist on this because because yeah, the second you say restrict four hundred one k contributions, people freak out, and he can go and say no, absolutely not, and yeah, it makes him look heroic, yeah, right? Yeah, but can you believe him? Oh, I I don't know, and 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 frankly, Bill, I'm not sure I care. Uh, the the not that 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 policy change wouldn't have a meaningful impact on people's lives as they stand now, but my problem is with the idea that we've all absorbed, Democrats and Republicans alike, uh, even some people on the left at this point. We've all absorbed this idea that the 401k is a useful vehicle, a noble tool, an effective mechanism for promoting the saving uh, for retirement that people need to do in their working years in this country because we don't really provide people a a guaranteed standard of living in their dotage. Um, Why would we have such a weird name for something that's so effective and, and noble and purposeful? Why 401k? That's a very... All these policies that we all like are carefully branded. 401k is just a string of characters. It's because it's an actual mistake. An accountant discovered this by mistake in 1980, started telling his own clients, started to spread. Eventually people realized, oh, okay, well, there's this line of the tax code that if you if you spin it around this way and stuff money into this socket um, makes it tax advantaged for the future. And then the political system latched onto that and started treating that as, oh, hey, look, it's like, it's like how popsicles were a mistake. Popsicles are great. Everybody likes popsicles. The 401k, wonderful. <laughs> And as that happened for 20, 30 years, yeah. starting in the mid-80s, as most bad things in the economic policy of this country did, 
um, starting in the mid-80s, you start to get uh, a rapid and radical shift in how this country allowed people to plan for retirement away from traditional pensions where you had a defined benefit. You didn't have to worry about um, the the level of income you were going to get. You knew what it was based on your years of service to an enterprise. Shifting away from that to this individualized, well, you've got to manage it or you've got to pay somebody to manage this money for you. Um, and maybe your employer will match what you put into it. Maybe it won't. There's no. There's nothing to require an employer to match. And you have to make enough money to have money to exactly. put into it. Exactly. Right. right. The bottom half of our economy does not have access to these accounts. Right. And the right. Obama the Obama era approach to this, to solving that problem, was to try to bring those people into the tent, make sure that. Uh, everybody has access to a 401k. So again, the obsession with this tool, this mistake, this sort of uh, accident of of public policy science uh, was, well, good. Okay, let's just get everybody plugged into it. But it's it's a it's a crock. It's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge waste of money. We should go back to pensions. Uh, it would be complicated. But if you want to actually talk about improving people's lot in life, that's what you have to do. There you go. There's the answer. Alan Pike from Think Progress. ThinkProgress.org. Good work, Alan. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Bill. Hey, how about Kate Martell from The Hill? She's this coming up next. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Jeff Flake becomes the latest uh, Republican to break with Donald Trump, joining Bob Corker, George W. Bush, and uh, John McCain, who's number five. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you on uh, this good Wednesday, Wednesday, October 25. Uh, It is The Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And we're right there alongside of you all across this great land of ours as we uh, take a little romp through the news of the day. Uh, what's happening here in our nation's capital with uh, uh, the so-called unity lunch yesterday at the Capitol, uh, which sort of broke apart even before Donald Trump arrived uh, on Capitol Hill um, with uh, first the uh, acid back and forth Twitter war between Donald Trump and uh, Bob Corker. Uh, And immediately after the lunch, uh, Jeff Flake's retirement speech and blast at Donald Trump on the floor of uh, the Senate. And again, everybody's wondering, okay, who's going to be the next one to join um, the growing number of Republicans uh, willing to publicly disagree and distance themselves from Donald Trump? Kate Martell writes about this every day on the special uh, 1230 report for The Hill and joins us in studio. It's good to see you again, Kate. Thank you. Good morning, guys. We read you. We're with you every day, but we don't get to see you all that often. So thanks for coming in. Of course. Thank you. Uh, And we'll jump right in. We want to hear from you, your comments on the news. You've got your own acid comments. 
uh, and go to Twitter, at BP Show. Let us know, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, I have a story that is relevant to your interests. Mega Millions is redesigning its national lottery game. It's changing the whole way that they do things. They want to get bigger jackpots. As if we haven't seen so many, like, enough, like, giant jackpots in, in recent history. So the starting prize is going to be pushed from 15 million to 40 million. And it will improve its odds of winning. They said this change is similar in pricing and payouts that the Powerball undertook in 2012. Yeah, but here's yeah. the thing. Mega Millions, all you needed was a dollar and a dream. Uh, Not anymore. Two dollars. Two dollars. They're well, raising the price to two dollars. But Powerball is two dollars. That's what I'm saying. Powerball yeah, did it. Yeah. Powerball is certainly not declining right, in popularity. Right. So they want to get people in. They want to get more people. They want to get bigger jackpots. Make it two dollars a ticket instead of one. I'll play. Oh, well, I know. I, I that. know you will. I, yeah, I, I didn't question whether or not you would get it. <laughs> and on I know that. you'll tell us about it every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Bill is, a, but you're a, you're one of the suckers for the lottery. You you play the lottery all the time. No. And when I say suckers, I mean, have you ever won? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Low blow. I think uh, it makes good radio. I for think what it's worth. I won four dollars once. All right. Well. It comes out basically even. <laughs> yeah, because I spent ten. I was gonna say <laughs> you bought five tickets, you spent yeah. ten bucks, you get four bucks back, you feel like a winner. Uh, well, everybody's paying attention to a lot of the social media ads that were bought during the election on Facebook, on Twitter. Well, Twitter is the first one to come out and sort of say that they're making some changes. Yesterday, they said that they're going to change the way that they display election ads. What this means is there's going to be a label to every ad that you see on Twitter. You know, if you're scrolling through and you see something, you know, that's an ad, there'll be a label on there that will explain that it is an advertisement, and they'll also explain who is behind them, who bought those ads, which I think is a good step. It certainly is not, you know, a the only solution to fix this problem. But they're saying, like, we think that people deserve to know who's behind these ads, right? If it's a pack that's buying these ads or if it's a Russian that's behind the ad, they just want to, they just want to put out there, this is where the ad came from. If it's if you see the name Dimitri. Yeah. 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 Right. We know where it you came should from. Probably, or Vladimir, yeah. you should probably be a little suspicious. Here's the problem with that. First of all, they should do that. There's legislation to require them to do that. Now... But sometimes they put phony names up because you still don't know who the hell they are. Feels like it could be hackable. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, hey, here we go on a Wednesday. I started to say Monday. No, it's the middle of the week. Wednesday, October 25. Uh, The Bill Press Show from Washington, D.C. We reach out to you all across this great land of ours. Good to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us. We've got lots to talk about. It was a day like we've uh, never seen before here in the nation's capital when two leading members of the president's own party say this president is a disgrace he is a danger to this country uh, and to the planet, and they want nothing more to do with him. Well, we were talking about that from uh, every angle today with uh, all of our guests and with all of you. 
uh, joining you on YouTube, of course, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, also out in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area, with you on WCPT and um, everywhere across this great land of ours on Free Speech TV. Here in studio with us, Kate Martell is the uh, editor, author, whatever, chief publisher of the 1230 Report on The Hill, thehill.com. And it's a great way to catch up with what's going on. You know, there are the morning newsletters too, Kate, right, which are very important. Read the, I'll read those. But then by noontime, stuff has happened. The stories have moved along a little bit. Every hour things are happening. Every, every hour, days, yeah. Geez, uh, this and week. You catch us, <laughs> and you catch us up to date with where we are midday, which is really great. Thank uh, you. Love, yeah. love your work. It's, right. It's a fun so, time of the day that things have started breaking, but you can still see a lot of times the news cycle has changed once 9 a.m. hits, um, once the president's tweeted. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's what a lot of the morning newsletters won't have, catch in time. So it's kind of a fun time of the day to see how the news cycle has, sh- has shifted. Yeah. Now, like speaking of tweets, he's put out, <laughs> what, about six or eight already this morning, right? He has. <laughs> Um, uh, and on the Russian dossier, on uh, the multiple standing ovations that he got yesterday uh, at the Senate lunch. Because that was the theme of yesterday, unity. <laughs> the <Yes>. unity lunch. <laughs> no, the, the theme yesterday was me. Me. <laughs> me. Yeah. They love me. Me, 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 me. 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 Yeah. yeah, all the applause yeah. I got, right? A couple of my friends. My friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then... Yesterday, you had the Twitter storm between uh, Bob Corker uh, uh, and, and the president. You have the feeling they don't like each other. You think? Yeah, you think they may not be best friends. Um, what's amazing about all of this is, so to wrap up the day, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, during her press briefing, um, was asked at one point, does the president take to heart when all of his critics are coming out against him? And her response is, they need to concede he's the president. They need to know that. The president's excited to see that they're backing down. I think that just sums up the day so well and that the president may see yesterday as a victory that he is going toe-to-toe with Senators Corker and Flake, and both of them dropped out. Neither of them are running for re-election, um, which is such a miscommunication and such just a disconnect from the way that the Republican Party has shifted and the way that yesterday everything went down with started with Senator Corker in the morning on the Today Show um, bashing the president. I forgot um, that was yesterday morning. That was yesterday. That's where that we was, started. Yeah. Like, that's how we started the day yesterday. Yeah. It didn't even start the week. <laughs> <laughs> and ended with another colleague um, in the Senate dropping out. And in the middle of it, I just can't get over the fact that this was the unity lunch the, of all names for this. And yes, we saw from the unity lunch that it was fairly muted. It was fairly tame. And we didn't see his critics come out and bash him during this. So one unnamed senator referred to yesterday saying the questions were so nice, you'd think it was a cabinet meeting in the White House. Wow. <laughs> and they come out of this meeting and he loses another Republican in the Senate. And who knows who they're going to get next? Um, but on, on your point, I, I saw this headline somewhere this morning. I mean, the, the Trump White House, I think, sees this as, all right, you're either on board or get off the bus. Right. I mean, you know, none of this. Uh, if you if you're it's total loyalty is what they want. Right. Yes. And if you're not totally. Then you might as well just quit the Senate and, and get out of the party, get out of whatever. And so. I mean, it, it, and now you've got Corker and 
and Flake, who seem to say, no, you know, we've got a responsibility to speak out and not let this happen. And Senator Flake was actually asked about that on Morning Joe this morning. Um, he was asked, hey, if you're a big critic of the president, shouldn't you be staying in Congress, um, staying in the Senate to try to fight him and to try to work with colleagues such as Mc- Senator McCain, Senator Murkowski, Collins, the whole crew that um, necessarily might be the anti-Trumpers? And his response is that there's this whole par- portion of Republican primary voters that he would have to move in a direction that he doesn't necessarily believe to win that race. What's interesting about that is Senator Flake is very conservative. He was the Tea Party before there was a Tea Party. And it's this new litmus test among some portion of the Republican Party that you're not measured about how conservative you are necessarily on the policy, but how much you support President Donald Trump, who isn't necessarily as conservative as he leads us on to believe based on his tweets. Which no. kind of comes full circle there. I know, I know. No, it's 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 so true. It's hard to follow. And as we discussed a little bit earlier, you know, okay, so Corker's not running again. Flake isn't running again as of yesterday. Um, what we haven't seen is any Republican who is running again who's willing to stand up and say, this man is a danger to our democracy, which is what Flake said yesterday, right? Nobody, nobody else has exactly. been, willing to, been, been willing to do that, I think, because they know the hold that Trump has over their base. He does. Yeah. And I mean, the question that everybody is saying now is, is this kind of the mic drop moment that happens with one or two members of the Senate? Or is this kind of the moment that the ice is breaking and that this is a shift in the way that people are treating the president? And you could argue both ways that, yes, we'll see more people come out against the president. But we've been saying how many years have we been saying this? This is the point when the Republicans are going to step away from the president. Has that happened? No. And it's because they all have different interests they're looking for. They have their constituents. They want to get tax reform done and certain legislative issues that they're kind of sucking it up, saying, OK, well, we're going to do this for own small issues. I was just thinking, you know, who's the exact opposite of Jeff Flake? Lindsey Graham. Yeah. Yeah. So Lindsey, who was ridiculed by Donald Trump mercilessly during the primary. Uh, yeah. Destroyed yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, I saw uh, on Fox News last night, Brian Kilmeade was reading some of the tweets and some of the comments that Trump had made about, I'd forgotten some of them, <laughs> about Lindsey Graham during the primary, including giving out his phone number, right? During one of the debates. He gave his cell phone number <laughs> out. Remember gave, that? He gave his cell phone. What a throwback. Gave a senator no. of the United yeah. States, gave his cell phone number out. Yeah. yeah, call him and tell him. Here's his cell phone number. <laughs> so despite all that, what's Lindsay's, Lindsay's approach is to go golfing with him and then come out and praise what a great golfer he is, which he did two weekends in a row. Right. Uh, I think uh, he's evolving. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And Senator Graham said that Trump calls him often multiple times a day now, that he's turned into one of his congressional translators going yeah. from one of his chief critics in the presidential election. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's gone the uh, he's gone the flattery route. He thinks that's the way to uh, which is also interesting because McCain of uh, uh, Lin- Lindsey Graham and John McCain are such BFFs. Right. Yeah. You would think that Lindsey might take more of a John McCain approach. He's taking just the opposite approach. 
it's really weird. I mean, I, I really it? don't understand it. Go because, figure. like, yeah. you know, I will, I'll say this about Flake and Corker and Bush and everybody that's come out and sort of said some things about Donald Trump that weren't necessarily putting him in the best light. Like, the winds of where we are as a country, I think, is for the most part anti-Trump. I mean, Donald Trump has a very, very low approval rating. And it doesn't look like it's getting any better for him. He's certainly not going to pivot, as you know, Jeff Flake sort of alluded to. He was expecting him to, or, or it was Corker who was talking about. Yeah, he expected yeah. him to pivot. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that cake is baked. I think we've seen what we're going to see out of Donald Trump. And you really aren't going to go wrong by opposing Donald Trump, even as a Republican, which is why I think it'd be really interesting to see like an incumbent Republican come out and say, "I, I, I cannot." With this guy, you know, like I can't continue to support Donald Trump when he's doing this to our nation, to our party, and I'm going to fight like hell to make sure that he doesn't get his way on this, 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 or this, right? But the problem is Donald Trump is telling them that he'll help them get their pet issue done, whether it's tax cuts or repeal of Obamacare or whatever it is. He's telling me he's going to help him get it done. So they're sort of in a we, rock and a hard place. Yeah, we played this uh, clip a little earlier, so it's worth listening to again. This is a uh, uh, Mitch McConnell yesterday kind of letting the cat out of the bag why so many Republicans who, who, who they may not have said so publicly, but privately they, they don't they're not happy with Trump's tweets and his bullying and his lack of knowledge of the issues and his demeanor and and kind of cheapening the presidency. But they're not going to say anything, as Mitch McConnell candidly says, for this reason. We've been looking for the opportunity to do this literally for years. There it is. We now have a president who will sign it, who believes in what we're trying to do, and we're going to concentrate on what our agenda is and not any of these other distractions that you all, all may be interested in. Yeah, we don't care what happens. He's there, and he will sign our tax cuts, and that's what it's all about. And so they'll, they'll put up with uh, anything, right, to, to, get their, to get their tax cuts signed by this president, who will sign anything they put in front of him. Yep, <laughs> but might make them work for it in the meantime and kind of lose some of their credibility and kind of lose some of... Well, he'll insult them in the meantime for yeah. not getting it done, right? <laughs> or not getting it done fast <laughs> enough or whatever, right? Yeah, that's They'll get of... the name before their name that gives them a little right. something. Little... So Mike Pence was called into duty yesterday uh, for uh, to break a tie pretty late last night, I guess. On a bill, pretty. I don't know that much about the bill, but a bill that would um, make it uh, tougher for people, I think, to to challenge it, challenge be, the I, credit cards. Yeah, it's it's going to be harder to to sue banks and credit card yeah. companies when they've done you wrong. And Senator Murkowski, Murkowski was one of the last votes that came down to it was forty nine yeses and fifty noes, and they still hadn't had the last vote, and then that's when. Vice President Pence came in and, you know, it was one of his one of the active duties of being the vice president rather than, you know, you look at the press list every day and it says he attends this, he attends this, he attends mm. this. And then last night was one of the active duties of being the vice president um, where, yes, it now it makes it harder for an individual to sue a big bank. Um, so it is a win for Wall Street. Um, but that's, you know, that was a major a major deal yesterday that didn't get as much coverage because of all the. 
obvious that we've been talking. I about. just want to read straight from the the CNN story where they talk about it because um, this was put into place uh, by the Consumer Protection Bureau that Bar- Barack Obama implemented. Uh, CNN says, wiping out the rule that would affect tens of millions of Americans who often don't know they are covered by an arbitration clause when they sign up for a credit card, checking account, or a prepaid card. So in other words, it's built in now. When you sign up for these things, like you are able to sue if we do you wrong. And now that's gone because of Mm -hmm. Mike Pence and and that vote. Sherrod Brown, by the way, popped off on Mike Pence last night and just says, it's really interesting how Mike Pence only shows up at, here to vote like when rich people can benefit. Like he only shows up to vote on those things. And it's also insignificant to, to to me that again this is a priority for the Republican Party to give the the credit card companies and the banks a break like this. Yeah. Right? They yeah. finally get the power. House, Senate, and the White House. And what are their priorities and how do they want to use it? I mean, certainly the number one priority is this tax cut bill, which is going to benefit mainly the big corporations and the wealthiest of Americans. But that's 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 why they have wanted power and why they, they've fought for it for so long and finally got it. That's their agenda, um, which um, um, helps doesn't help 99 percent of the American doesn't help 99 percent of the American people. Uh, Devin Nunez, we thought he was gone, Kate. He's back. <laughs> He's back and involved with Russia again. Yeah, yeah. Russia and uh, the investigative emails. And <laughs> yeah, but a different aspect of it. What's that yes. all about? I mean, so he didn't resign as chair of the House Intelligence Committee he, or Oversight Committee. What, oversight, oversight Intelligence Committee. Confused mm, there. But yeah. at any rate, he didn't resign. He just said for the Russian investigation... I will step aside on that, right? So yes. when he's back, doing what? So now he is back investigating a Hill story, actually, that the FBI knew about um, a deal with the Obama administration working with Russia over uranium. Um, and it, it can get a little bit in the weeds and can be kind of wonky a little bit. But essentially, it means that there was a deal that while Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, um, they had there was a deal that was going through with the Obama administration to help to give Russians control of um, uranium nuclear power. Um, and essentially, as this has been reported, the Clinton Foundation has been involved. And now Devin Nunes came out and said that they're going to be investigating this case. Um, so that's kind of been he's back involved with Russia. Yes, he recused himself from the, the debacle over last was spring. I don't. If mm-hmm. We've aged, <laughs> <laughs> um, and now they're going to be investigating this case. So he, yes, he recused himself from one case, but now he's back involved. Yeah, I've got to get back into it. I did it one time, but it, you, you really, it is in the deep weeds and these things. It's, it's a. I, I don't understand the the all the details of it, but I do know this was a deal that required the um, review and approval of I think about a dozen. U.S. departments, agencies, different government entities, one of which was the State Department. Yes. Uh, but not Hillary Clinton herself. It was some representative of the State Department who sat on this panel, and they all universally, I mean unanimously, signed off on this business deal, whatever it was, or intergovernmental deal 
for moving some uranium around. I think there was a Canadian company involved as yes. well. I'm, you know, it's my colleague. It's so murky. Right? My colleague John Solomon has been breaking all of this news. He's been doing an excellent job with it, and you just have to have him explain some of it in the details, um, in the weeds details. But overall, it sounds like it didn't make it up high enough up the chain. But because of the focus of the Russia investigation has been on President Trump, Republicans now want to shift the focus back onto Hillary Clinton. Um, can never go wrong with that. Can yeah, right. <laughs> it's good for business, I guess. Well, we guess haven't had enough on hearings given. on Hillary. Clearly not. Yeah, maybe we'll have some more hearings on the emails. And she is a <laughs> yeah, right. she is currently a public figure too. She's in elected office. You know, she's. If you turn on some some of the news stations, you'd think she was the president. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. Donald Trump complains about Hillary not being able to accept the fact that she lost. I think there are some Republicans who can't accept the fact that they won. Right. It's yeah. a good way of wording it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? So they just have to keep fighting fighting yeah. those old battles. You know, this is totally um, not in the news at all, but I'm just curious. Um, what do you hear? What do you think is going to happen? I was talking to a member of the White House press corps about this the other day. What do you think the story is going to be on the White House Christmas parties this year? Do you think there will be any, number oh, one? that's interesting. And number two, do you really think that Donald Trump, like Barack Obama or George W. Bush, is going to stand there and shake hands with every reporter? <laughs> no. Not, not to mention no. the other parties. No. No. I mean, look, this is a little inside baseball. I ask her. I know. No, I know. You, I'm saying, like, you step in, Peter. You've been to plenty of these things. I mean, it, it's it's not one party that you have no. to stand there. I mean, the oh, president. No, no, no. There are like 24. Yeah, there are a lot of yeah. parties yeah. Yeah. that yeah. the president right. and, and their spouse stands there and meets everybody. And has a picture taken. He's not going to do that. Yeah. My prediction is these parties will happen, but the president will have another conflict, and he will not be involved. He might show up for one or two of them just right. to wave, say hello, um, get one or two photo ops, but he will not be standing there for 24 parties nope. all night taking pictures. Especially not for the media party. Oh. <laughs> right? I mean, that- I mean he, he balances. I mean, he walks a very fine line with the media. As much as he says he hates the media, we also know he loves the media. Right? So, like... I, I think you're right. I think he's yeah. not going to show up to the media parties. But, like, he's not going to stand there and greet, you know, know, hundreds of members of the media who are at the White House Christmas party. It just won't happen. He He's not going to do that. He's just not going to do it. Uh, no, no, I, no I, I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> I agree. But, uh, but speaking for this White House reporter... I'm not going to get an. If he does, I'm not going to get in line anyhow. Oh, no, I wouldn't did want you, that. Did you take a picture with Bush? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's a long story uh can i tell it sure okay it's your show man Uh, (laughs) i'm curious (laughs) i was uh invited to the first george w bush christmas party and i didn't think anything of it because i'd gone to everyone before under bill clinton not everyone but since i'd been in washington uh, and I arrived. It used to be everybody in the media was there that you knew. And I arrived at the first Bush Christmas party, and I thought it was the Fox office party. I mean, like, most of my friends were not there, but everybody from Fox was there. Uh, Bill O'Reilly was there. Sean Hannity was there. They all came down from Roger Ailes. They all came down from New York on a special train or had a whole car or something like that. 
and it was mainly just the Fox party, right? So um, I got in line to get my picture taken <clears throat> with the president and the first lady, and the Marine said, Bill Press from CNN, and President Bush looked at me and said, I kid you not, Press, how do you get in here? <laughs> and I said, Mr. President, you invited me. Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, I had a picture taken, and I was never invited back. No kidding. For the next seven years, I was off the list. So, you still have the picture? Yes. But it is not one that is hanging in my house. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't put that one up. Uh, wow. There are some Clinton pictures and Obama pictures hanging in my house, but not the uh, not the Bush picture. Yeah, it's in a file somewhere. I, I came across it a couple of months ago, and I just had a big laugh thinking about it. Yeah. That's remarkable. And Laura wow. Bush did not say a word to me. I don't think Melania Trump would say anything to you either. Yeah. <laughs> no. no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening today, Kate? What's uh, what's hot today in the on the hill? God. Is uh, more, are, are, are people are expecting other shoes to drop. I guess is that it? Or um, I think the question that I keep hearing from Capitol Hill right now is: Are we going to be seeing more Republicans coming out against the president, or are they just going to try to you know twiddle their thumbs and kind of change the conversation? Um, the budget is kind of what the main story is. The Senate um, will be planning is planning to vote on the budget um, tomorrow, so they can hopefully get that through. They're hoping that they can push tax reform through. So the yeah, theme uh, uh, is passing the budget enables them to rig the vote so they can do tax cuts with meaning they only need fifty one votes, not yeah. yes. So the theme I'm hearing Capitol Hill is yep. Tax reform, tax reform, Jeff Flake and all the people that hate Trump. Tax reform, that's what we're talking about. Um, and kind of the back and forth between that. Um, we do have the major government funding bill coming up. December 8th is the deadline. Um, they're hoping to push tax reform through before through before Thanksgiving. I think the odds of that happening are very slim. So at some point, I think the conversation is going to be shifting in the next few days is going to be over the government funding bill, avoiding government shutdown and before Christmas. Um mm -hmm. Even Speaker Paul Ryan made a joke yesterday that they will skip out on Christmas if it means that they can get these bills through. Um, but and he obviously said, I, I'm joking about this. I know that's all you guys are going to be talking about tomorrow. Yeah. Um, um, well, well, Paul Ryan had some good advice yesterday, Jamie, about uh, what we should do about all the talk from Bob Corker or Jeff Flake or George W. Bush or John McCain or anybody else. Here, here's Paul Ryan taking the high road. All this stuff you see on a daily basis on Twitter this and Twitter that, forget about it. Let's focus on helping people, improving people's lives, and doing the things that we said we would do that accomplishes that. That's what we're focused on. God, such a phony. <laughs> if only they were focused on improving people's lives. Yeah. How is it How is it making it tougher for people to sue their banks and their credit card companies when, they're, when yeah. they've been yeah. defrauded? How is that improving Well, it's helping people? some people's lives. Uh, yeah, the yeah. bankers' lives. Bank executives, right? credit card executives, people like that. Yeah. To your point about um, about the, the, the mood, the tension on, on Capitol Hill today, uh, Carl Hulse's piece on the front page of the New York Times today, I thought, uh, kind of summed it up. He said, one can practically sense Republicans tiptoeing around the Capitol, <laughs> taking extra care not to awaken the president to their presence in a way that could draw a scolding or a rebuke. Wow. Wow. 
you know? <laughs> it's all written. Yeah. Yeah. So they're afraid yeah. of upsetting him in any way that would get him to tweet against them. Hence right? why a member of the Senate said that you'd think that that unity lunch yesterday was a cabinet meeting based on how nice the questions were. They were all, thank you, your accomplishments. Nothing, nothing <laughs> negative, nothing hard hitting. Mm-hmm. Don't look at me personally. <laughs> Wait a minute. Multiple standing Multiple ovations. standing ovations. Multiple standing ovations, he said in a tweet this morning. All right. Kate, we'll be looking for you at 1230 today. You can all <laughs> sign up, too, and that's just uh, those inside the Beltway. They get to read the Hill or thehill.com and sign up for Capital Report. The 1230 report. 1230 report. Yeah. 1230 report with Kate Martell. Thanks, Kate, so much. Thanks so much. Congressman John Garamendi from California's 3rd Congressional District, a good friend of the show and mine, coming up next here on The Bill Press Show. Quick break. We'll be right back with a good congressman. My friends. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. video bill's commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show hey here we go on a wednesday morning continuing here wrapping up indeed the bill press show on this wednesday october 25 uh, from our nation's capital on our studio on capitol hill reaching out to you coast to coast thanks this morning to the good support of the united Steelworkers uh, and their international president the one and only leo gerard uh, the United Steelworks is North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Find out more about their uh, good work at usw.org. Uh, it's a great uh, opportunity to welcome and a pleasure to welcome to the studio a good friend from California, um, former lieutenant governor, state senator, Peace Corps member, insurance longtime good friend. And good friend of Bill Press. And insurance commissioner. How did I forget <laughs> that, right? <laughs> we should really remember that one. I think uh, so. Congressman John Garamendi from uh, California's 3rd Congressional <laughs> District. Hey, Congressman, good to see you. Good to be with you, Bill. So, uh, first of all, what's the latest report? I don't think they impacted your district, but on the uh, wildfires in California. Worst in Worst history, in, right? in history. Over the years, uh, Lieutenant Governor, Insurance Commissioner, the fires, Northern California, Southern California, the Oakland Hill Fire back in uh, 1991, 3,000 homes. Mm-hmm. This one was twice that size. Forty-some people and probably more, we will find, uh, mm-hmm. have died in this fire. Uh, it was uh, horrific. And it occurred in the middle of the night, literally a firestorm moving through uh, a community of a couple thousand homes in a matter of hours. At night, people literally died in their sleep. And they had no warning the evening before, right? Because I'm talk. i sure you have too. I've talked to friends who live in that area. It started uh, in the probably the late afternoon. The winds picked up, 70-mile-an-hour winds, hurricane-force winds uh, with no rain, driving that, uh, and it was horrific. In my part of the California, up in the Sierra Nevada mountains, we had a, uh, a fire, a couple of hundred homes, and two deaths. Mm. Uh, terrible. By mm. comparison, uh, didn't measure up by scope and, uh, and and loss of life, but nonetheless, very, very serious. I never remember as many fire, wildfires as we've been through in California. 
I don't remember ever a, a major city. I mean, Santa Rosa, it's a, it was, these are city blocks. These were not homes. These are a couple up. hundred thousand people living in that city. Yeah, right. You know, and it was, it was a developed area, again, unlike you know, summer cabins up in the mountains or something like that, right? We, we yeah. normally expect that. Uh, the Oakland Hills fire was similar in nature. It was an urban fire in which mm-hmm. thousands of homes, couple, well, 3,000 homes were lost. What's happening, Bill, is climate change and drought. Climate change has extended the fire season by about th- four months. Earlier mm. in the spring, uh, early summer, so we get May, which we usually never had fires, but and then at the end, it's extending all the way into December. It used to be the end of September, the fire season was over. So you're getting a warmer climate. Uh, you're getting an extension of the fire season. Uh, hotter days, hotter times over the period of time, and so the vegetation is drier. And so in the fall, when we always have the north winds or the Santa Ana winds in Southern California, uh, it's always been bad. But now, it's much, much worse. Right. When you see in that two- or three-week period, right, we saw Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Harvey, and then the wildfires in California— it's all part exactly. of the same. Exactly, and uh, you know, this is the reality of the world in which we live. It's not just here. You look around the world. You look at the disasters that have taken uh, the uh, typhoons in the Asian area, uh, earthquakes. So are we as humans prepared to deal with these disasters? The answer is it appears as though the United States is not. The strongest, wealthiest country in the world is not prepared to deal with this. I'm not sure there's anything we could have done about the fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you look at what's happened in Puerto Rico. This is a human disaster, and it is a, a clear indication that the federal government is unable or unwilling to take care of American citizens. Three million-plus American citizens in Puerto Rico a month later and 80% or so do not have electrical power. Something seriously wrong with the way in which our government is responding California, big, wealthy state, we'll be able to take care of it. We'll have help from the federal government. But um, you look at what's going on here, and there's something seriously amiss, particularly with regard to Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Well, but Donald Trump said uh, uh, to rate his, his uh, response in Puerto Rico, a 10 out of a 10. Donald Trump is a pathological liar. He wouldn't know the truth. He couldn't tell the truth if he watched the sun come up in the morning. He probably would say it's setting. (laughs) This man doesn't understand the position that he's in and the necessity of being honest, forthright in all that he does. He has totally lost the confidence of 70% of Americans because he is a liar. And when you saw yesterday... Two senior Republican senators, Senator Bob Corker, who had spoken out before, but then joined by uh, Senator Jeff Flake yesterday. Have you ever seen a day like that when two members of a president's own party disown him? No. No, I've never seen it. What did it say to you? It says to me that um, they can't take it anymore. And it's uh, you talk individually, walking down the hallways with with a Republican colleague, uh, they're saying the same thing. Mm, privately, Their yeah. eyes are rolling. They're going, oh, my God, what do we have here? How are we going to deal with this? Uh, it is uh, uh, widespread throughout the Congress and certainly in the Senate 
the uh, personal discussions uh, that are taking place, uh, they know, we know, that this is a very serious governmental problem for America. And, and given the way in which uh, Trump handles international relationships, it's dangerous. Uh, North Korea is a very serious problem in which the tripwire is taunt, very, very taunt. Now, the president's going to go to South Korea, and you go, oh, my God, what will he say? Mm -hmm. He's there. What will he say? There's Every year, there's an incident between North Korea and South Korea, between the United States, and, and sometimes the United States involved, sometimes not. Uh, soldiers are... Uh, captured along the D a couple of them that are patrolling the DNZ, they're captured, uh, vice versa. I mean, mm -hmm. both sides. Those are happen every year, and now with Trump, will that start a war next time? It could, and it would be horrific. You're talking hundreds of thousands of people dying within days if a war were to break out on the peninsula, and it could. So where this, you know. I I guess the question is, uh, I believe, it's great to see Bob Corker speak out, great to see Jeff Flake speak out, but don't we need more than that? I mean, in terms of, is that is that it? Um, well, I think it'll Trump come is in, still it'll, there, and Trump is it'll still... It'll come in a couple of different ways. Um, uh, first of all, it will come in legislation. You saw that with the failure of the Affordable Care Act, where the uh, that the senators were unwilling to do what was wrong. They just didn't want to do what was wrong, and it, and it didn't happen. Now, most of them did, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. what, what was it, uh, four did not. They said, I can't do this because this is wrong. We're hurting people. Personally, I will not hurt people. So I think we'll see it again in the tax ref uh, reform. It's hardly reform. Right, it's no, a it's horrendous not. tax cut tax for the wealthy. Cut, list of tax cuts for the wealthy, right. Exactly. So I think we'll see it there, and uh, Trump will bump up against this, uh, as will the Republican leadership, and you'll begin to see members in both the House and the Senate. Now, the, the House is a very strong majority of Republicans, although they have their coalition, the Tea Party Republicans and the more standard Republicans. But the reality is I think you'll see it begin to um, – that that'll be the first sign that more and more senators and members of Congress will back away uh, from Trump's proposals. Um, and then they'll begin to speak out in quiet ways uh, and, and perhaps hopefully more loud. The ultimate thing is that this man has over a long period of time been on the edge of the law. You know, what about Russia? What mm -hmm. about follow the money? Uh, was there money laundering going on? What were his relationships past and obviously in the campaigns? Uh, was, was there collusion? Was there, um, uh, did, did he, by firing Comey, engage in obstruction That's of justice? Good. Those issues will come to the fore in the months ahead. And when they do, then we will see whether there are courageous members of Congress and the Senate. Because I think there's some impeachable offenses out there, and people are not yet talking about the emoluments clause, which I, I, there is no way that he has not violated. He has clearly violated the emoluments clause. From day one. Day one, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The Trump 
hotel in Washington. Right. And on and on and on. He clearly has taken money from foreign governments, foreign entities, into his own personal pocket. That's a clear violation. What I'm looking for is the lawsuits that have been filed, not by the government, Mm -hmm. but by individuals and organizations. Uh, If any one of those lawsuits is found to have standing, then there will be um, discovery. And records will have to be produced. And then the American public will see. So there's a whole series of things that are impeachable. We'll see what happens. So you say these things could and maybe even should lead to impeachment. The emoluments clause of the Constitution is clear. I cannot, nor can the president, take anything of value from a foreign government. Period. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Now, has Trump done that? Yes. Period. <laughs> Period. <laughs> right. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Um, you, I, I think, was when I, I mentioned uh, we were both on MSNBC together, not at the same time, uh, but you were speaking, I believe, about um, the whole. The so many implications or so many aspects to the fact that four American soldiers were killed in Niger. Mm -hmm. Did you know that we had so many American troops in Niger, and what are they up to, and what's going on in that part of Africa? You were a Peace Corps member in Africa, right? My wife and I were Peace Corps volunteers in Ethiopia a few years ago, and we've stayed very deeply involved in African issues, more by Patty when she was the associate director of the Peace Corps and Mm -hmm. also over at the uh, USDA where she ran the the famine food relief for the world. Yes, I did know what was going on, uh, generally speaking. Uh, we have followed it closely. Uh, we've had, uh, I'm on the Armed Services Committee, so there have been briefings about uh, the work in Africa. Uh, we call it the violent extreme organizations, uh, Boko Haram, uh, the capture of the and the abduction of the 27 young school girls in uh, that area. Uh, so we followed it, and yes, we did know, or at mm-hmm. least those of us that follow it, knew right. that we were engaged across the entire area. Obviously, Somalia, Djibouti, uh, we have a major base in Djibouti. Uh, <clears throat> we don't have, uh, we work with Ethiopia, the Sudan area. We've traveled to South Sudan and all the troubles that are there. Uh, Chad, Nigeria, and then on to uh, Niger and Mali. Spread out across that entire area. Uh, there are violent extreme organizations that mostly uh, that are now associated with ISIS or al-Qaeda or just some of them on their own. And we have been working, we, the U.S. government, have been working with the governments in that area to train and assist them. A lot of police training, some military training along the way. Uh, you do that side by side. Mm-hmm. And if you're out uh, side by side with these um, uh, military you are in harm's way. These are very dangerous places. Uh, when Libya collapsed and Gaddafi went down, uh, many of the violent uh, organizations that uh, had been sheltered in Libya by Gaddafi fled south into the Sahara and then further south into what's called the Sahil, the southern Sahara, uh, and set up shop there and began to uh, torment the local folks 
and uh, eventually became strong enough to really uh, come very, very close to overthrowing the governments. That's when the French stepped in, uh, and the United States supported that. And now we have, uh, we're building a major Air Force base uh, in northern Niger, uh, and we will be operating uh, drones out of there, various uh, equipment to monitor and to assist mostly the French and the local government. And is all this being done under the authorization of the for the use of military force from 2001? Absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, that uh, was Afghanistan. Sure. Uh, following 9-11, yeah. it was Afghanistan. It said uh, authorization to uh, go after al-Qaeda and related organization. Related can be rather broadly interpreted. Uh, and we, has been. <laughs> certainly has. I have called for, as, as have several of my colleagues, a couple of Republicans, uh, saying we need to carry out our constitutional responsibility to decide whether we're going to go to war or not. So we're at war in about, I don't know, maybe a, a dozen, no more than that. It's more than that, yeah. I mean, we're well, everywhere. Well, we're everywhere, but I mean, active warfare. Mm. Right. Uh, Philippines. Uh, certainly... Uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Syria, uh, Iraq, Yemen, Yemen, uh, Somalia, uh, obviously uh, Niger, uh, and across the uh, the Sahel of Africa, we spent uh, ten years chasing after the Lord's Army that was terrorizing Uganda and Congo and and uh, southern Sudan. Never did find him. Uh, certainly mm. degraded uh, that uh, terrorist organization. But uh, and that happened to have been authorized by Congress. That was one of the few authorizations. Congress said, okay, go get them. We sent the uh, special forces out, and they chased after him for more than a decade. So, um, I mean, you've called for a new AUMF. Absolutely. That, yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we've been working with uh, one of my colleagues out of uh, Carolina, a Republican, that said uh, if we pass this resolution, it says— 12 months after this resolution passes, there is no more money for these activities. And so he cut off the funds, which would force Congress mm -hmm. to review, reauthorize, which would be an authorization to use military force, otherwise known as a declaration of war. Uh, so, Congressman, I remember under uh, President Bill Clinton, you were... I'm not sure whether it was Undersecretary of Interior. Was it a, number two? It was called Deputy at that time. Deputy, sometimes okay. called Undersecretary, but it's the, the number, number two in number the two department. Number two in Interior. So I don't know whether you caught up with the story yesterday that the current Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke um, did a little favor for uh, his neighbor. Uh, he got his neighbor a three hundred million dollar contract to rebuild the electrical grid in uh, in Puerto Rico. Oh, this is kind of a sweet little deal for his neighbor. <laughs> this is sort of the this is sort of the way things operate at the Interior Department. Uh, I'm trying to. I mean, I'm flabbergasted. I'm trying to figure out what in the world the Department of Interior is doing here. Yeah, it said uh, this 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 company from Montana. At the time of the hurricane, they only had two full-time employees, but now Zinke gave them. A three hundred million dollar contract to Puerto Rico to restore the uh, electrical grid. I have and been, his son worked at for this. Uh, Zinke's son worked for this company. This is time. the kind of thing that will get you a new job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say except I find uh, Zinke. I, I knew him when pretty well when he was in the Congress. 
I find it very, very disappointing what he has done as secretary. Uh, th- that department is a, a terrific department taking care of the most precious things that we have, our natural environment, uh, from water to uh, all kinds of, of species and land and the national parks and mm-hmm. on and on. And uh, I, I'm just very, very disappointed in, in what he's done. I, I I don't know what to make of this. I'm trying to figure out what in the world the Department of Interior is doing. Yeah, I, it seems I think to me strange. I, you know, why, would, uh, why would they be giving contracts for rebuilding the electric Well, the grid? Department of Interior, during the colonial period, when America <laughs> had colonies, the Department of Interior ran the colonies. And there was a, it was one of the major functions back in the late uh, 1800s oh. that the Department of Interior oversaw the colonies of Philippines uh, for a while, uh, Cuba, and still in some ways uh, has responsibilities for um, our old colonies, which are now but, the Virgin Islands. But I think you're under something. I think that... <laughs> Donald Trump and Ryan Zinke both think of <laughs> Puerto Rico as still being a colony. They well, certainly didn't seem to realize they were American citizens. Well, I think West Side Story may play into this with, with Trump. I'm just thinking about West Side Story. This, Trump grew up during that period when West Side Story was yeah. the thing, and you had, yeah. you know, you had these two, uh, the Puerto Ricans and, and the others, and I think Trump picked sides. Right. All right, so the big news from California everybody's talking about is Senator Dianne Feinstein, 84 years old, is going to run for re-election. Should she, and are you endorsing her? Absolutely she should. She is a um, extremely successful and uh, very, very important to California. You look back through her career, and I've had a chance to, to really work with her, uh, even when she was the mayor of San Francisco and then beyond. Um, she gets things done. She's also, you know, she said not to be liberal enough. Well, she is more than enough liberal, uh, and her policies are really good for California. You take a look at uh, the work she's done on the Intelligence Committee, trying to balance out the national security aspects uh, with the uh, uh, our, our personal privacy. Very difficult to balance that out, but she's worked hard on that. Uh, when it comes to holding people accountable within the intelligence community, and we've seen that uh, as she carried out her role as the ranking member on the intelligence, she holds them accountable. She knows her stuff. She knows California inside and out. Um, she should be reelected. And, uh, you know, she's got another six years. Will she carry out the next six years? Caref- uh, she had every indication that she will, and, and that's good for California and good for the nation. What do you say to those who believe, who say the party, you know, she's great, she's great, God bless Diane, she's done a great job, but the party needs some new blood, younger blood, and fresh faces. No, the party doesn't need that. There are a few fresh young faces that would like to be <laughs> <laughs> senator. Yeah, but, right. but the party doesn't need it. What the party needs is a continuation of people that can carry our banner. And, and do it in a way that uh, not only addresses the, um, uh, as I said, the civil liberties issues, mm-hmm. the environmental issues. You take a look, Diane, on environmental. There's been no senator. Boxer was known as a, a very strong environmentalist, and she was. And Diane is in a different way. Not so outspoken, but you take a look at the California desert, the Mojave Desert. 
That's Diane's country out there. She's the one that has saved that desert from exploitation of all kinds. You take a look at the, uh, the water systems in California. Uh, she, together, I've worked very closely with her on it. How do you how do you deal with the complexity of California water, the environmental pieces of it? She was able to do that. Uh, you look at the uh, offshore, working with Sam Farr on the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, offshore um, sanctuaries, the ocean sanctuaries. Uh, she and I worked together back in the 90s on the Redwoods. It was Diane Feinstein. I was at the Department of Interior carrying that piece of it. It was her work over a long period of time that saved the Redwoods. But- the, uh, that was her work. Uh, let me come back home here to well, back here to to DC. We just have about a, a minute left. Uh, Donald Trump gave himself a ten out of ten in Puerto Rico. We know that's laughable. How wh- how do you rank the leadership of Paul Ryan and Republicans in the House of Representatives? Wrong and unsuccessful. Thankfully, uh, they tried to ram through the uh, repeal and replacement of the Affordable Care Act, which, um, in its um, policy would harm 25 million Americans, remove the insurance coverage, health insurance coverage that 25 million Americans had. It was a horrible policy. It was mean, despicable policy. And yet he rammed that through the House. But in doing so, he ignored the necessity of compromise, mm-hmm. never talked to the Democrats, and he's going to do it again with tax policy. That's his whole uh, MO, isn't it? Right? Look at the tax policy. The things in his tax policies are precisely the same things that he did. Medicare, $2 billion reduction in Medicare and Medicaid. That's in his tax policy. Right. Hey, Carlos, it's so good to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for your good work for many, many years. All and right. yours. Carry the banner, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. We will. That's this it, folks. Have a great Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow. Show. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.